want to invite everyone back. We're going to cover all five areas, but once again, we're starting in the area of emotional healing. I want to be very clear with this question, why? Anyone ever looked up into the heavens and asked why before? Anyone here? That's okay. Have you ever gotten a good answer? Usually not. And sometimes the reason we don't get a good answer, sometimes the reason we don't get the right answer is because we're asking the wrong what? Question. But I want you to notice how it works. Because we're asking the wrong question, not getting the right answer, that cycle prevents many people from getting past that into emotional healing in relation to the things that have happened to them in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? It locks us into whatever crisis occurred. And it prevents us from ever moving forward. Now, I want you to experience the life that Jesus came to give you. Do you want to experience that? God wants to take those things that have hurt you in your past. He can undo the past, but can He bring you emotional healing? Yes. He wants to set you free from that so that you can move past that into the life that He created and redeemed you for. Now, how many would like to be so free from your past that you can live the the future that God wants for you? I want to encourage you, if you look at your schedule once again, tomorrow's second presentation is called Freedom from Your Past. Do not miss that. We're going to begin unlocking some of that tonight, but we're going to go further tomorrow. When we talk about why God allows things and why He allows some things and why He doesn't allow others... I want to share with you that 45 minutes is not enough time to cover this entire topic properly. But if you'll look on the back of your handout, the ministry that I work for has a website entitled RenewedHeartMinistries.com. There is a two-part, two-hour presentation on this subject by the same title. It's absolutely free. We put it there just so you can go there and listen to it. If you don't have a computer, get a hold of me. I will give you both presentations, two hours worth on this topic. Give me your address, I'll send it to you. But tonight we're going to cover the principles, the basic principles. And if you want to pursue it further, you can do that through those avenues. But today, modern Christianity gives us two categories with which to work with. There are things God can prevent and He does. Anyone ever had something that God prevented or intervened in your life? Anyone ever had that happen to you before? Then there's category number two. There's things that God can prevent, but He doesn't for a good what? Reason. And if this is the only two categories, mind you, these are the only two categories modern Christianity is giving us. If this is the only two categories we have to work with, what's the problem? You have some things happening on this planet that don't fit very easily into one of these two. Do you agree with me? Yeah. It puts the onus on God, number one, but you take things like rape. Can you say very easily that God prevented it? Because it happened, right? 
Can you say that, well, God could have prevented it, but he chose to allow it for a good reason. And you just need to learn what he's trying to teach you in this. Does it fit very easily in that category? How about child molestation? Does that fit very easily in either two categories? This is why modern Christianity frustrates many people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a Christian. But this is why modern Christianity is frustrating to people who have been hurt. Because to be honest, we are failing at giving a viable answer. Do you know what scares me? Is that Jesus didn't just give people two categories. Jesus gave people a third category in which to put things that have happened in their life. How many would like to discover what that third category is? You know that third category? If you can see it, do you understand what I'm saying right now? If you can see it, it will begin the journey of emotional healing for all of us in this room tonight. Do you believe that? Do you want that? You see, when we ask the question, why? I don't think there's anything wrong in asking that question. I think God's shoulders are big enough for us to ask Him any question we want to. Do you, if you agree, say yes. But that question is built on some wrong assumptions. We assume that if God wanted to prevent something, we assume that what? Or that He could. Since He didn't prevent it, we assume that He must have what? Wanted it to happen for a good reason. Anyone ever reasoned it out like this? Have you ever used this logic before? And so when things happen, we think through it just like this based on these four assumptions. And we look up into the heavens and say, God, I thought you loved me. Why are you letting this happen to me? Why do you want this to happen to me? There's a problem with some of this reasoning. If this is true, then we would have to say that everything that happens is happening just the way God what? Wants it to happen. We would have to say that everything is happening according to God's what? Will. Have there been Christians that have said that? Two words. Rape. Child molestation. Is that ever God's will? See, you need to be careful. Because there are some things happening on this planet that well-meaning people will say, well, Herb, you just need to see it from God's perspective. If you could see it from His perspective, you would understand why this is a blessing and not a curse. Wait to see what He brings out of it. Do you know what you're saying by saying that? If that's really how things operate then when we look at things like rape and child molestation, what we're really saying is that we believe that there's a God up there with whom the ends justify the means. Isn't that what we're saying? That if the end result is good enough, that will justify how He got you there. That's a scary thing to say, isn't it? What we would, if this is correct, we would have to say, that if the reason's good enough, if the reason is good enough, then God at some times and for some reasons approves of things like rape and child molestation. Are you willing to go that far? Then there must be something wrong with the way we're reasoning it. Would you agree? 
You see, if this is true, we would have to say all things happen for a... And that sells a lot of books, I know. Or all things happen for a reason. I'm not going to ask you if you believe that or not. What I want to ask you is what is the kingdom principle here? The rest of the world may be screaming that all things happen for a reason. But what are the principles of the kingdom that Jesus came to teach us? Are you willing to see things differently? Are you? What did he come to show us? Look at Matthew 6 verse 10. Take your handouts with me tonight. Matthew 6, verse 10. Jesus said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Now this is a prayer that Jesus taught us. This is Him instructing us in how to pray. If this kind of reasoning is correct, notice what we said. Everything is already happening according to God's what? Will. If everything's already happening the way He wants it, Why would he tell us to pray that God's will will be done on earth like it's done in heaven if it already is? Do you understand what this prayer is hinting to us? That in many cases, God's will is not being done on planet earth. Would you agree with that tonight? That things are happening that he doesn't want to happen. How many would agree with that? If you agree, say yes. There are some things happening for which he doesn't have a purpose. Why doesn't he have a purpose for them? He doesn't want them to happen. They're against His will. Got it? He doesn't have a reason for them. Notice what Luke 7 says. The Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. Is it possible to reject God's will according to this verse? You know, there are some people in Christianity today that would say no. Some people would say, well, you don't understand. Even in rejecting God's will, they were following His will. Because it was His will for them to reject His will. And you let your own neurons fry over that for a little while. I just ask, why can't we let the Scriptures speak for themselves? Did Jesus teach that it was possible to reject God's will? Can you delay God's will? Can you prevent what He wants from happening? Can you prevent God's will from happening? Can you? Can you prevent it from ever happening throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? I like this, because some say yes, some say no. Notice what the Bible says. doesn't matter what I even say. It only matters what the Scriptures teach on this. Timothy says, who desires how many? How many? Is that God's will? For how many? To be saved and to come into a knowledge of the truth. Is that ever going to happen? Is that God's will? Is it His will for people to be saved? But will it ever happen throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? Are there going to be some people who prevent His desire for everybody to be there from ever happening? Do you hear me tonight? Look at the next one. 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. Will there be some who do? But He's desiring that all would come to what? Repentance. We'll all come to repentance. Will there be some people who prevent this from ever happening? Which raises the question, why would God create a world that has the ability to say no to Him on this level? Does it appear that He has, first of all? So we would have to agree, the first thing in our assumption is that not everything is happening the way God wants it. Got it? Did He want to prevent it? 
Yes. Did he? No. So we can't change these. He didn't prevent it, but he wanted to. What's the only other thing left on the board? Could have. And this is where we need to spend the majority of our time this evening. Can God do anything? Ooh. Ooh. Boy. Some say yes, some say no. Can God make you love Him? I didn't say will He. We all agree He won't, but could He? I love you guys so much. I do. Let's say, let's imagine that I created a computer chip. And this computer chip, it would, would uh, mess with the electromagnetic waves of a person's brain. It had a little self-adhesive strip on it. All you had to do was just put it right behind their ear. And whomever you put that chip behind their ear, it would make that person love you. How many would like a chip like that? I share this with some young people when I do this presentation for them. It's amazing, all of the hormonal prepubescent boys always raise their hand and they're looking at some girl in the audience when they do. This computer chip. Let's say I took it, programmed it, and put it behind my wife's ear. In that moment, would she be loving me? No. No. No, what's loving me? The chip. And who programmed the chip? I did. So who's loving me? I'm loving my... Now, hear me very clearly tonight. We're going to talk about this over and over again. But when we talk about love, love by definition is other-centeredness. Got it? It's something that begins with me and ends with someone else. I believe in self-worth. I believe in self-respect. I believe in self-esteem. But those are all things that begin with me and end where? With me. If it begins with me and ends with me, call it something, anything else, but don't call it love. Got it? If If I were to monkey with my wife's brain and make her love me, Who would be loving me? I'd be loving myself. And have I closed the circuit? Therefore, can I call it love anymore? No. Do you see what I'm saying tonight? You change the nature of it. Let me illustrate it this way. Could God come down here and wiggle the wires around in our head? Sure, He could. But in that moment, who would be loving Him? And then can you call it love at that point? It changes the nature of it, doesn't it? So even God, not will He, even for God, can He make you love Him? Because the moment you say make, who's loving Him? Himself. And is it love then? You see, this is a new concept for many. Some people say, Herb, don't say that God can't do things. Why? Look at Titus 1 verse 2. Let's stay with just the Bible. Remember, he who will leave house... Wife, neighbor, brother, sister, for the kingdom of God. Those are the ones that will have more at this present time and in the life to come, correct? This may be against what the modern voices are saying. The majority is saying out there. 
But when have the majority ever been right? Are you hearing me tonight? What does the Bible say? Titus 1 verse 2, In the hope of eternal life, which God who... What's that word? Cannot what? Does the Bible teach there's at least one thing God cannot do? Yes. And what is it? Lie. So is it, is it biblically true to say God can do anything? Is that biblical? Is there one thing at least the Bible says He can't do? What is it? Lie. We've discovered by reason and logic, can God make you love Him? No. Does He want you to love Him? Can He do everything in His power to try to win your love? But can He make you love Him? No, because in that moment it ceases to be love, doesn't it? A round triangle. That's the one C.S. Lewis used. Anyone ever heard of C.S. Lewis? He said, can God make a round triangle? And some well-meaning people said, well, sure, He can do anything He wants. Can God make a round triangle without changing the English language? Do you catch the qualifier? By definition, a triangle has how many sides? A circle has how many sides? Two, inside and outside, right? Just kidding, just kidding. Triangle has an inside and outside too, I know, just kidding. The moment you take a circle and you give it three sides, in that moment you've changed the nature of it and by definition it ceases to be a circle and it becomes a triangle, got it? All things are possible to God. But there are other things that are non-things. Do you know what I mean by non-things? A round triangle is a non-thing. Do you understand? By its nature, it can't exist. God lying is a non-thing. It can't exist. Why can't God lie? Because when He said, let there be light, what happened? When He said, let there be grass, what happened? God's Word is creative. Whatever He speaks, whether it's true or not, the moment He speaks it, the second He speaks it, it comes into existence, does He not? He's got to be real careful. Aren't you glad Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, instead of just come forth? Think about it. Glad He was specific there. God can't lie. God can't make us love Him. Does God want to? But the only way He can ever have us love Him is for Him to give us freedom not to. Isn't that true? Because of the spontaneous nature of love. The Bible seems to indicate that God has given us this kind of freedom in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Do you see that there? It says, The Lord is the what? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... What's another word for Liberty freedom in psalms 115 he said the heaven even the heavens they are whose they're the lord's but the earth he has given to the children of who of men who's calling the shots down here i love this because if you think about it if you think of it right now and if you're if you're a anyone here is welcome no matter what your background is or what your profession is whether you're an atheist a hindu a buddhist doesn't matter you're welcome here tonight but most of us from a Christian background, when we think of whose will is ultimately being done on planet Earth right now, who do we usually think of? The devil. But you know what's wrong with saying that? Nobody in this room can say the devil made me do it. Can we? 
So when we think about it, whose will is ultimately being done on planet Earth tonight? And maybe not mine individually, but is it a human being somewhere's will that's being done? And some will say, well, Herb, that sounds unfair that another human being can have the freedom to violate another human being's will. You're right. It is unfair. And the Bible never teaches, though, what every free moral agent does to every other free moral agent is always fair. The Bible just teaches that what God does is fair, which gives us a hint. If something has happened to you in your life, and you're looking up into the heavens saying, Why? And this seems so unfair, God. Do you know what that's proof of? That this was something that was not His will, not the way He wanted it. It's not something He has a reason for. It's not something He has a purpose for. It was not what He desired for your life. He has nothing to do with it. His will was violated as well as yours was. Do you see that? Why would God grant freedom like this? We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want us to look at what this freedom means. Freedom. Freedom. What does that mean for God to give us freedom? What does that mean for Him? It takes risk. Loses control. There's a good thought. You ever heard the phrase, God is in what? Control. And you can start with that phrase. You can start with that being your picture of God. That the way you see Him as just a God who is in control. And if that's your picture, emotional healing will always evade you. Did you hear what I just said? Why? Because if God is in control, and you have gone through something sick, someone has hurt you, then who are you always going to blame for that? And that act in and of itself will prevent you intrinsically from ever experiencing the emotional healing that he's trying to bring to you. You'll always be blaming him rather than letting him heal you. Do you see the difference? But aren't there some things God's in control of? Oh, absolutely. But listen, God is only in control of those areas over which he has not granted freedom. Because controlled freedom is a non-thing, isn't it? Think about it. Can you control something and give a person freedom at the same time that you're controlling them? Do you see it's like a round triangle. It's like forced love. Can God do that? So we're beginning to learn there are some things God wants, but He what? He can't. Why? Doesn't He have the power to prevent whatever He wants to? Yes! He has the power to, but what does he have to take away in order for his will to be done in every situation? What would he have to take away? You see, I have two friends, and I've shared this story with some of you before. If you've heard it before, put up with it. For those of you who haven't, this is for you. I have two friends, they live in the Seattle area. They were both having a birthday around the same time. They invited me to their, well, no, I invited them to my house. I called them up. I said, you're having a birthday in the same week. Drive to my house. I live seven hours from them now. Come to my house and celebrate your birthday. It was real silent on the other end of the phone. Finally, one of them broke the silence and said, Herb, the protocol of friendship states that it's seven hours. You come to our house to celebrate our birthday, right? I said, well, I hope I wouldn't come to this, but... Let's say you come to my house. I'll take you to the grocery store. You can purchase, you know, you can choose whatever you want for your birthday. 
and I will pay for your birthday party with my wallet. Seven hours later, they were on my doorstep. I took them to the grocery store like I promised. The first section they went to was the frozen foods. They opened up the freezer, pulled out one of these big things of natural vanilla Briar's ice cream. You ever had it? We're going to talk about fitness and health later. But natural vanilla Briar's ice cream. And I just looked at them with that look like, how could you? Don't you know how bad ice cream is for you? I had that look like I had never eaten it before. How could you even think of eating something so horribly bad for your health? I picked it up, stuck it in the freezer, and pulled out one of those artificially flavored non-dairy ice cream substitutes and stuck that in the cart. I don't know if that's any healthier, but they say it is. We went then to the cake department. They got one of those 5,000 different types of death by chocolate cake. Do you know what I'm talking about? They stuck that in the cart and I just looked at him again. Didn't say a word, just, how could you? That, that look. Picked it up, put it back in the shelf, pulled out one of those vanilla sugar-free diabetic cakes, stuck that in the cart. <laughs> then we went to the soda aisle. They got one of these big three-liter bottles of Mountain Dew. I think they felt more passionately about their Mountain Dew than their cake and their ice cream. Because this time all I got to do was reach for it. Before I could get my hands on the bottle, the more vocal of the two picked up this Mountain Dew bottle, held it close to her body like an abandoned orphan child. She stuck her other hand out and she said, Hold on a minute, Herb. You said that if we came to your house, we could choose whatever we wanted. And since we've come here, you haven't let us have one thing that we chose. I said, Oh, my dear friends, you didn't pay close enough attention to what I actually said. I only said you could choose whatever you wanted. I never said you could have what you chose. And without any thought, the more vocal of the two said to me, Well, Herb, if I wasn't free to have what I chose, then I wasn't really free to choose it in the first place. How many would agree with her? You agree? Say yes. See, what does it mean for God to give us freedom? He says, here's the freedom to choose between A or B. Now, I really want you to choose option A. But he gives us the freedom to have A or B. What happens if we choose B? Yes, but what, what, can, what, what, can, what does it mean for him? What does it mean for him? Can he just step in and make A happen anyways? If he did, what would that say? Oh, no, 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 we had freedom. We had freedom. If we had chosen A, would anything have changed? We only had freedom as long as we did what he wanted us to. Do you understand that? And is that real freedom? It's just a facade, isn't it? It's not really being free. It's freedom only in name. You see, freedom, for it to be genuine, it has to carry with it the, the, the quality of being irrevocable. Say that word with me. Irrevocable. That means once you give it, you cannot what? Take it back. What if it doesn't go the way you want it? Can you step in now and just make everything happen the way you want to? No, because to do that, what do you have to take away? And some say, well, Herb, that sounds like you're limiting God. No, I'm not limiting Him. If anything outside of God limits Him, does He cease to be God? 
Yes. But can God himself choose to limit what he can and cannot do so we can be free? If something else limits God, he ceases to be God. But can God limit himself so we can experience freedom? Can he do that? And that seems to be indicative of what God has done. How do we know that? Look at Ecclesiastes 9.11. I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning. Have you found this to be true so far in life? Does the biggest army always win? Does it? Does the healthiest person always escape cancer? No. It says, for time and, what's that word? Chance overtake them. If you start off with the picture that God is in control, then there is no such thing as chance. Are you with me? But if you start off with a God who is love, why do I pit that against control? Have you ever met someone who had to control everything someone else did? Have you ever met someone like that? If I were to control everything my wife did, like I could, but let's say I tried. I determined when she woke up, what she did all day long, what she did in the afternoon, what she did in her evening free time. I so meticulously controlled her life, I even scheduled in for her bathroom breaks. Got the picture? Would you say I was the most loving husband to ever walk planet Earth? No, what would you call me? Yeah, control freak. Drop the word control. I'd just be a freak. Isn't that true? We look at people that have to control at that level and we say something is emotionally wrong with them. We don't say they're loving. So you can start off with a God who's meticulously controlling. God's meticulously involved, but not controlling. Do you understand the difference? You can start off with a God who's in control, yes. Or you can start off with a God who's love. And if he's love, what is he granted? Freedom. And the last time I checked, freedom and control are not synonyms. What are they? And if he truly grants freedom, what does that mean? Now there's a chance that things are going to happen the way he doesn't want them to happen. Isn't that true? There's a chance that bad things are going to happen. And can he step in and stop every one of them? Not, not while preserving our freedom. Now, does he have the power to step in and prevent whatever he wants? But can he do it while still leaving our freedom intact? You see, can he give a circle three sides? Yes. But in that moment, it ceases to be a circle and becomes a what? A triangle. Can God step in and make whatever he wants happen? But in that moment, we cease to be free. And if we cease to be free, will we ever have the hope of experiencing love in a controlled environment? Do you see? There's chance now. Some will say, no, Herb, please. Once again, you just need to see it from God's perspective. One day he'll pull back the veil and show you what he was up to. And that may sound really good for some things that can fit in category number two. But it doesn't work well for others. Some people will say, if you could just see the abuse that happened in your life, if you could just see it from his viewpoint, you would see that this is a good thing and a blessing. Have you ever heard someone say that before? Do you know what the Bible has for people who say that? The Bible says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good. 
Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for the sweet and sweet for the bitter. If something is good or evil simply on the basis of a person's perspective, are you hearing me? Then there's no such thing as evil. What have we just said? It's all what? And if rape and child molestation are good things, and heaven is only filled with good things, then this atrocity is never going to end. Do you see what I'm saying tonight? If this is the kind of world that exists with God who's controlling it all, heaven's going to be a scary place. The chaos of this world proves that God is not pulling the strings like the the Wizard of Oz. Do you remember that? He's not back there pushing buttons and pulling levers. Rather, God is love. And He's granted freedom. And the reason He's granted freedom is so you and I can experience love. But instead of doing that, sometimes we take that freedom and we hurt each other with it. And we violate each other's will with it. And we do the most atrocious, wrong, hateful, dark, sick things to other human beings with that freedom. And does God want to stop those things? And are there some times when He can But there are many other times when he can't. Do you understand the difference? It is high time. If there's Christians here tonight, hear what I'm saying to you. If there's other religions in the room tonight, you can ignore what I'm about to say. But it is high time that Christians stop telling people that have suffered molestation or abuse or rape It is high time that we stop telling those people that God could have, but He chose not to. That you just need to see His purpose for this. It is high time that we start sharing with them what Jesus did, that God's not behind this, an enemy has done this. Isn't that what Jesus said? And that God wanted to stop it. He set all heaven in motion to stop it, but even God doesn't always get His way. Even God, although He'll win the war, He doesn't win every battle, does He? And some will say, well, Herb, what about the book of Job? Sure seems like that's the picture of God having options and letting Job go through something, choosing to allow it. Let's put those three columns back up on the board again. How many are familiar with the story of Job? If you're familiar with it, say yes. If you're not, go home and read it. wasn't meant to be a joke, but I'm glad it was funny. (laughs) Remember, the first category is things God can prevent, and He what? Does. There are things God can prevent, but He doesn't. For a good reason. And then there are things that God wants to prevent, but He what? Can't. Which category does Job fit into? Those of you familiar with it, are you sure? Let me tell you the story. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, one day, one day in heaven, there was a meeting according to Job chapter 1 with all the sons of God. Now there was one son of God not present. Do you know who that was? According to Luke 1, that was Adam. Where was Adam at this time? He had sinned and he was now dead. His life had ended. But in his sin, he had given his dominion to someone else. Who was that? Satan. And who was there among those meetings of the sons of God in Job chapter 1? 
Satan. Why was he there? Because he was a son of God? No, but because Adam had given him his dominion. Satan's there unwelcome, unbid, uninvited. God contests it, and I'm thankful for it. He says, where are you coming from? Why are you here? Satan says, I represent planet Earth. I'm the representative head of that race. God says, you are not. Have you considered Job? Job isn't worshiping you. Job worships me. He's part of the human race. God's challenging Satan's presence there. And Satan says, oh, don't be so foolish, God. The only reason Job serves you is because what you're doing for him. He's not following the principles of love. He's just only out for who? Himself. And at that stage, what option does God have? Could he have said to Satan, sit down, shut up, no more questions? Could he have said that? But what would have been the result? What happens when a person in an authoritarian position exercises authority and squelches freedom of speech or any questions? What happens to the rebellion? It festers. It may not be so apparent. It goes underground, but you're setting it. You're pouring gas on the fire, are you not? So would that have been a viable option for God to say to do? No, not for long-term results. What else? Any other options? Hear me tonight. If God had any other option than to remove his hedge of protection from Job, if God had any other option, then it fits into category two. God could have prevented it, but he didn't for a good reason. Are you with me? But if God only had one option, then it fits into category three, something God wanted to prevent for Job. But he what? So which one does the book of Job even fit into? Category three. Do you see it? Do you see it? And some people will say as we close tonight, I got 20 minutes, but I'm going to let you go early. Is that okay? No. Some of you say no. Some of you say yes. Chairs are hard. Some people will say, well, Herb, if there's some things God can't do, then why pray? Once again, can you live a healthy lifestyle and still get cancer? Then why live a healthy lifestyle? Just go out and live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Doesn't that sound like wisdom? If you live a healthy lifestyle, does that guarantee you won't get cancer? But does it give you an advantage in not getting cancer? Yes. Prayer. Does prayer guarantee that everything you pray for, it's going to happen? No. But does it give you an advantage that God's will will be done on earth like it's done in heaven? Does it? Do you see the point? You see, what we don't understand is that everything that happens on this planet falls somewhere on a continuum between divine control and human freedom. Do you understand what I'm saying? It falls somewhere on that line. 
And when you pray, you are taking something and you're moving it further away from human freedom into divine control. Does that make sense? You pray once, it may not pick something up over here and shove it all the way over there. Do you, have you had times when you had to pray for something and you had to just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and then finally it was done? Anyone ever experienced that before? Why did you have to persevere in prayer? Because God was asleep? Because he's lazy? He's up there just sitting on his laurels? Or he doesn't really love you and you had to convince him to be good? Or prevent, convince him this was a good idea? Is that what it was all about? No, not at all. There is a balance between divine control and human freedom. And sometimes we are literally wrestling in our prayers not to convince God to do something, but to give Him greater control to do something than what He otherwise would have done. There are more wills involved than just yours and mine, are there not? And so prayer, yes, pray, engage in prayer. But understand, just because you pray for it doesn't mean it will happen. Do you understand that? Do you get an advantage that it'll happen? This question and answer box that we have. I didn't want to say it at first because some people have lost faith in prayer. They've prayed for things and it never happened and they think God's against them. God doesn't answer my prayers. The the mere notion of prayer nauseates them. Have you met folks like that? I used to be one. But that's a prayer basket because I truly believe today that when we take something in our life and we pray about it, it at least moves it in the right direction. Amen? And there are a lot of things in our life that are happening right now that I think we could give God greater control of. Amen? And He won't take that control unless we give it to Him because He's given us freedom. But also, don't just reserve it for question and answers. If you have something that you would like us to pray for every night before we begin, we're going to spend time in prayer right here because this is about life unlimited, amen? It's about having the life that Jesus came to give us, freeing us from our bondage. And we're going to pray over those things. If you have someone or something that you would like us to pray for each night before we begin the meeting, put that prayer request in the basket. We'll pray for you. We care about you. And we want to see you live the life that Jesus came to give you as well. You're not the only one that wants it. Amen? That's why we're conducting this seminar. So if you have something you want us to pray for, put it in that box. I'm not promising you that whatever you pray for, it's like a vending machine. It'll just cha-ching. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we will here gather together and we will move it closer. Got it? We will take it closer. The greatest illustration I have of this is in Daniel chapter 10. I want you to go home and read it. We're not going to read it tonight. But Daniel had to persevere in prayer for three weeks. And it wasn't because God was lazy. It was because there were more wills involved than just Daniel's. It's in your outline. You can go home and read it. But as we close tonight, I want you to notice there are four assurances you can walk away with this evening. There are four areas that you can have freedom in tonight. Number one, God never promises you that nothing bad will ever happen to you. Why doesn't He promise that? Because He's not in. He's granted freedom. But he does say if something happens to you that he can't prevent, he wants us to know one thing. Look at the very back. Revelation 21 verse 4. Are you with me? Say yes. Comes a day where God says he will wipe away how many? How many? Every tear. From their eyes, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things that have passed away. The reason I share this with you tonight is because I have met countless souls 
who have come to me and said, Herb, if God's so good, then why? And I've seen their tears, and I've wept with them. But the greatest reason why I share this with you tonight is because I stand before you tonight, maybe not having suffered as much as you have, but I've suffered too. I have an 11-year-old and I have a 5-year-old. That is six years. And the reason there are six years between our two children is because my wife and I have buried two children. And I don't share that with you to evoke any type of sympathy. I just want you to know that what I'm sharing with you tonight comes from a person who has suffered too. And I'm hoping that this new way of seeing... Are you seeing things differently tonight? Is it a different way of looking at them? My hope is that in seeing them differently, it can work a change that it can bring comfort to you too. But the promise, the assurance tonight, is that no matter how many tears you have shed, there is coming a day when He will wipe away every one of them. How many are thankful for that? And He says in Nahum 1.9, Assurance number two, what do you, why do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up. What does it say? Once He ends it, it won't happen again. Why? Because He takes away freedom? No, because finally He has a people who've grown up and you've learned how to use that freedom. Amen? How would you like to learn how to use that freedom in this, this seminar? So you can have those five areas of, of, of fulfillment that He wants to give you. Matthew 25, this is a great comfort to me. One day as we stand before the judge, it says, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, even the least of them, he says, you did it to who? Even to the very least. Did you hear what he said? That means never has a man been murdered, never has a woman been raped, never has a child been molested where God himself was not raped, murdered, or molested in that person. Do you believe that tonight? It was not just your will that was being abused and violated. It was His. He wasn't behind what happened to you. He was in you being afflicted by it as well. Do you see it? Do you see the difference? But the greatest assurance. Number one, He's bringing it to an end. Number two, it won't happen again. Number three, whatever we go through, He's going to go through it with us. But the greatest assurance. Number four, we know that God causes all things. Don't stop there because He doesn't. But He does cause all things to work together for what? Good to those who what? Why does He say those who love Him? Is He up there saying, well, you know, I'm only going to do it if you love me. Is he that egocentric? Why does it say that? Why does it say those whom God loves? Because God loves how many? That's a given. He already loves everyone. Does he want to do this for everyone? But not everyone will let him. Most people hold on to that pain. And they don't ever see category number three The way they see God is, God, you could have stopped this and you didn't. Why didn't you do it? Isn't that where they cry? Why, God? Why did you let this happen to me? And he wants to bring emotional healing, but they they won't ever cooperate with what he's trying to show them, how he's trying to help them see so they can experience that healing. God, why didn't you do something? Is the question we ask where God's trying to have us ask, God, why couldn't you do something? Do you see the difference? Not why didn't you. God, what tied your hands? Yes, one day God will pull back the veil. 
And he will show us not why he didn't do something, but why he couldn't do something. How many would like to see that? To show us what tied his hands from his will being done. But the promise is here, sure, that if you will let him, if you will learn to love him back, he will take whatever has happened to you. How many things? All things. And bring good out of them. How many would like that to happen in your life? Now be careful. The moment he brings good out of it, you will be tempted to fall back into the old way of seeing it. You'll say, well, this must be why he allowed it to happen so this good thing can happen. Anyone ever been there before? Does God need child molestation and rape in order to do good things? No. God is good and he can bless you without the help of the devil. He can bless you without evil. Can he not? He doesn't need pain for him to give you good things. Now, sometimes we need pain to grow. And that's category two, yes. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about gross violation of one human being against another. That is never God's will, amen? Those are not character-building moments. An enemy has done it. And God says, I couldn't have prevented it, but I can bring good out of it. No, you will never be thankful that it happened to you, but I can take even it and cause it to be a source of countless blessings in your life. How do I know that? Look at what Joseph said to his brothers. His brothers had sold him into slavery. He had been imprisoned unjustly, but now he was governor in all of Egypt. And and as he was coming in contact with his brothers, his brothers feared for their own life once they discovered that this was Joseph standing before them. But Joseph told them, please don't be angry with yourselves and be at peace. The evil that you plan to do me has by God's what? Design been, what's that word? Turned to good. How many of you tonight would like God to take everything that someone has, eat, someone has meant to harm you, evil toward you? How many of you would like for God to take that and by His design turn it around for good? How many would like that? Hear me. Statistically speaking, I know you're here. I don't know who you are, but I know you're in this room tonight. And I want you to hear what I'm saying. In that moment, God did not abandon you. He did not desert you. He did not turn a deaf ear. He set all heaven in motion to stop that from happening to you. Are you listening? He set all heaven in motion. And if His will had been done for you at that moment, that would have never happened to you. Are you hearing me? And one day, He will not show you why He didn't. He will show you why He couldn't. I'm asking you tonight. In His stead, I'm asking you, will you give Him a chance to prove that in your life? Will you give him a chance to take what someone else has done to you and to set you free from that so that it can be the source actually even of life unlimited? Are you willing? I'm not asking you to give it to him. I'm not asking you to lift it up. All I'm asking you to do is to take whatever a person has done to you in your past and simply let it go. Will you do that? Just let go of it. Let him take it. Let him have it. 
He can deal with it a lot more than you can. Do you understand that? Let go of it. Let it become His. It happened to Him too, didn't it? Isn't that what we learned? You're not alone. Just let go of it. And let Him begin to bring healing. Let's pray tonight as we close. Precious Father, we have begun our journey tonight through the first leg of Life Unlimited. We've begun the subject of emotional healing. And Lord, we are truly beginning to see you differently than what, you tr- what, what we've perceived you to be. But Father, I don't want it just to stop there at perception only. Tonight, Father, change the way we think, change the way we feel, and Father, may it trickle all the way down into the choices we make. Lord, tonight I pray especially for those in this room who have suffered gross injustice at the hands of another human being. Father, that was wrong, and it should have never happened. Father, give us the courage to believe that you were not behind that. You were not orchestrating that. You were not ordaining it. You were not up there choosing to allow it to happen for a good reason. Rather, you tried to stop it, Lord. But sometimes human freedom ties even your hands. Help us understand. Give us the courage to see you differently. In your precious name we pray all this. Amen. I want to encourage you. We have just laid the foundation. Remember your sunshine that we drew? Once again, would you like to learn what that center principle is? That's what we're covering first tomorrow at 2.30. Do not miss it. And when we finish that, once again, we'll have refreshments. And then we'll move right into the presentation, Freedom from Your Past. Do not miss that either. It is vital that we become freed from what has happened so we can live the life that God wants us to. We're going to get to fitness and health, I promise. We're going to get to spiritual fulfillment. We'll even get to financial freedom. We'll cover it all. But be patient. Allow God to bring you emotional wholeness this weekend. God bless you. We will see you tomorrow at 2.30. Thanks for coming. If you have any questions, make sure you drop them in the basket. Have a good night. Thank you.